Tennessee Valley. This is the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison here with my co-host and fellow agitator Adam Keller and we are broadcasting live-ish again online and on the radio from the heart of the Tennessee Valley, the Spice Radio Studio in Huntsville, Alabama. The NLRB fights for funding. We get angry voicemails. We talk to a candidate for governor and more on today's program uh, if you want to be part of the program well you would have had to have already given us a, a call on the voicemail line sorry about it so you missed it you missed out today but you can always leave a voicemail so you can be on next week's show the phone number is 844-899-TVLR that is 844-899-8857 you can leave us a voicemail anytime anywhere throughout the week uh if you haven't gotten enough of us by the time that we wrap on the radio uh or if you just want to see what we're up to throughout the week then you can find us online we have got uh just boo koodles of content folks online youtube podcasts wherever you get it it's all at the valley labor report we've got like almost 600 videos on youtube now uh we've got going on 200 podcast episodes i think it's a lot it's a lot we've got a lot so if you're looking for alabama labor content uh we've got a big old backlog for you and we're also on facebook we're on twitter we're uh wherever you find anything online we've also got a website tvlr.fm where you can become a sponsor a donor a sustaining member of the program. Our largest single source of revenue comes directly from our listeners, folks. We are on commercial radio. It's like an infomercial, right? We are like a labor infomercial. And so we pay for the time to be on these commercial radio stations and uh, we don't we don't get we don't make any money. Neither Adam nor myself make any money from this. All the money that we get goes directly into the program, whether it's paying stations to be on the air or uh, paying Spice Radio for this nice setup that we've got here, paying them rent every month. Um, So that's what the money goes to, and our largest single source of revenue comes directly from our listeners. So if you want to support our work, um, you know, you think it's it's good, you enjoy it, uh, tvlr.fm and do that. You can also buy our new hat, uh, it's pretty cool, so check that out. It's on our online store, tvlr.fm. If you're a member of a union, you should also get your local to sponsor the show. You can reach out to me for more details on that. So um, our first guest today 
is going to be Joseph Webb. Uh, he's talking to us because uh, he is, he works for the National Labor Relations Board, and the National Labor Relations Board, the NLRB, is the executive agency that is tasked with enforcing the National Labor Relations Act, the NLRA, which, among other things, ostensibly protects the right of working folks to organize. The NLRB has been flat-funded since 2014, which means that in real dollars, according to the NLRB union, it has seen a 20% cut. That's under both Republicans and Democrats. Biden's budget that was released last week proposed an increase, but even that increase doesn't reach the inflation-adjusted baseline from 2014. So we're bringing on Joseph Webb. He is an attorney with the NLRB in Birmingham and president of the NLRB Union Local 10 to talk to us about this. So, Joseph, thanks for taking the time. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Pleasure to be here. Oh, yeah, we're glad to have you. So before we jump into, you know, how the uh, how the budget cuts have affected your ability to do your job, let's talk a little bit about your job first. Help help us understand what the NLRB does. Well, you set a very good uh, precedent of what our what ostensibly our goals are. So I can kind of just dive into the meat of it that way. But what we do, our primary goal is protect the right of uh, employees throughout the United States to freely choose whether or not they won't be part of a union. So our most important task and what we consider priority number one is the facilitation of free and fair elections and overseeing those elections and enforcing rules to ensure that the freedom of choice is not improperly interfered with by third parties, Uh, whether that be uh, employers, which is our most common case, but every once in a while we do have some bad actors on the union side that will step in and uh, we have to deal with that as well. And other than handling petitions and counting votes for elections, the other way we go about um, enforcing the act and enforcing this freedom of choice is the handling of unfair labor practice charges, whether that be discrimination against employees for standing up for each other, what's known as protected concerted activity when there's not a union involved. Just say, if you and I work together, for example, and we were caught talking about wages and one of us or both of us was fired, that would be the type of thing that we would handle and call that protected concerted activity. We handle, though, of course, discrimination against individuals for union activity or where employers discriminate against employees for their union activities. And we handle cases where employers fail to bargain in good faith with the union. And we handle unlawful rules, threats, pretty much the gamut of what you can imagine that an employer or a union may do to try and interfere with somebody's free choice in the workplace and the right to exercise and rights from forming a union, filing grievances, working together in an informal setting to try and improve your working conditions. Those are what we're focused on protecting. 
And as a field attorney, my primary duties are to handle the investigation and prosecution of unfair labor practice charges. So I am one of the people who investigates charges that come into the agency or into Region 10. And then where the regional director finds merit to those charges, I'm one of the attorneys assigned to prosecute whoever the offending party is. And we also, I do some elections, but usually the leader on elections are our investigators known as field examiners. So they end up handling the primary responsibilities on the elections themselves. And then the attorneys uh, will handle the heavier load on the unfair labor practices. At least that's how it's traditionally been supposed to work. But with this lack of funding, as I'm sure we'll talk more today, those lines have been blended uh, significantly over recent years. Also, the NLRBU, which I'm here on behalf of today, that's who I'm speaking on behalf of, the National Labor Relations Board Union Local 10 that I'm the president of, the local president of. And that covers Nashville, Birmingham, and Atlanta offices in Region 10. And that consists of everything from the field attorneys, such as myself, field examiners that we talked about, and also administrative professionals, which you may refer to in uh, your workplace or have heard of referred to as paralegals. They're the same. They have the same type of responsibilities as a paralegal would in private practice. Gotcha. And so, you know, you mentioned uh, when you were talking about your example of an unfair labor practice would be, you said uh, firing, but it, it could also be disciplining of workers who um, who are talking about wages. And that's something that a lot of bosses will tell people like, oh, no, we don't allow you to discuss wages. But that's illegal. That's It's illegal to tell employees that they are not able to discuss their wages and working conditions with their coworkers. Like you said, it's a it's a protected, concerted activity. What? How do you feel the average Alabama workers' understanding of their rights are as a worker? Like, do you feel that most people have a have a, a good grasp about like what kind of rights they do and don't have in the workplace? Unfortunately, I do not. And that is something that the NLRBU has advocated for all through Region 10, which covers much of the southern United States, is for further out is for outreach funding, which, of course, the agency doesn't have now. But the dream and goal is to get that kind of funding to where the agency can do formal outreach, whether it be commercials or even uh, web website postings, Facebook ads. Hey, did you know you have the right to do to discuss your wages in the workplace? And like the example you used, uh, disciplining any form of discipline for discussing wages would be illegal. But even telling employees, hey, you can't talk wages here. That mm. by itself is an unfair labor practice. Right, right. So, uh, you know, I think that's a good that's a good segue into how these budget cuts are affecting your agency. I, I was talking to you before um, 
before uh, when we were planning to talk about this and, and you said that your office historically has like 10 employees and you've been at four for seven years now i mean how like how does that affect your ability to do the work that needs to be done well what it the good thing i can say about the birmingham office and all of my fellow unit employees in local 10 is that we are all dedicated to the National Labor Relations Act and to protecting employees' rights. So the quality of work doesn't fail, doesn't fall behind. What does fall behind is we're not able to process these cases as expediently because where it has historically been considered a heavy caseload for any single employee to have more than nine cases at a time. Every bargaining unit employee in Region 10 right now is carrying close to 20 cases per person. And investigating these charges, we make it a point to truly determine the facts of a case and find out whether a person's rights have been violated. So after somebody files a charge, they get contacted by us and we take a sworn statement from them first to get their side of the story and to get any contact information for witnesses, get any documents they have. And then we initiate an investigation on our own. We contact other employees from those areas. We don't tell them who we've talked to. We keep it confidential who we've talked to. And while we're even contacting them, other than just the general allegations, so they know a charging party's identity is not revealed during this investigation process, but we're contacting witnesses, getting documents, forcing the company to respond to the allegations, provide documents. And this this is a very drawn out process. I would say that each case typically when we're even if uh caseloads are low, it takes several weeks to months to properly investigate a case thoroughly. And because of this load, this just means that everybody is set back on the time scale. So to thoroughly determine whether people's rights have been violated, how best protect an individual's rights, what type of remedies they may be owed, persons who were typically hearing from us in 30 to 60 days on the outcome of a case, it can it can be 90 to 120 and worse, which the longer somebody goes with justice delayed, that can often be justice denied. They can have any multitude of things happen that affect their ability. And of course, we at the the bargaining unit employees that are NLRB members, we always try and minimize that as much as possible. So I would say that who suffers the most is the quality of life of NLRB employees in the region and the fact that we are, we're, we're salaried employees, so we're not entitled to overtime, but we are although we're typically open eight to four 30, it is not uncommon for agents to currently work late into the night and on weekends to try and uh, as quickly as possible, investigate these charges, prepare litigation for these charges, et cetera, to enforce people's rights. But it just becomes for everybody that 
it's a breaking point and somebody gets left behind Mm. because we don't have enough people. Right, right. I didn't realize that y'all wouldn't be entitled to uh, to overtime or at least or or anything like that. Uh, since we're we're both federal employees, I just kind of assumed that um, that it would be basically the same because I I can get overtime if I if I need it. Right, I cannot get overtime, and then LRBU employees cannot get overtime. We do get comp time, which can be added to our leave, but mm-hmm. the trick with comp time is that we have to know in advance that uh, we're going to accrue comp time and get that pre-approved. And often because of the way investigations work and when witnesses are available, we just don't know in advance of when that comp time is going to accrue. So we end up just work, we end up having to work to get the job done in times that aren't, uh, can't be compensated in comp time under federal regulations and, we're not entitled to uh, time and a half pay or standard overtime. Huh. So. That's wild. Yeah. <laughs> That's sorry, that just kinda of threw me for a loop. I figured it'd be the same because I I I I you know, my agency, I think that they have I've never had to actually, you know, thank goodness, I've never actually had to work like more than forty hours since I've had this job. But I think that there's a standard, but we are like statutorily able to either get time and a half or comp time. I think I th- I think that there's one that our supervisors prefer, but we are able to do that, or at least standard overtime. I know because I know that that people do that. But anyway, the so the administrative. I, I will clarify: administrative professionals in the agency can get overtime. That is an option for them to elect. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. So the uh, you know. That is a, um, I mean, that's a big deal, like on, on all sides of this, because, you know, you're talking about cases where potentially somebody has been fired, right? <laughs> somebody's been, um, somebody's been fired because they've been discriminated against for their union support or illegally retaliated against for maybe discussing wages and working conditions. And somebody who's fired, who, you know, waiting around for this case to be you know i mean people can't wait around they've got to get a different job and then the remedies under the nlrb uh under the nlra is for the worker to be made whole if the employer um if the employer is found guilty talk to us about what being made whole means actually being made whole has historically an undercurrent NLRB law means to, it's called restoring the status quo, means the discriminatee is offered the opportunity to come back to work with back pay plus interest for the time that they were out from work after they were uh, illegally fired up to the point that they are reinstated after the employer is found guilty, they're entitled to back pay plus interest for what they should have been paid over that period of time. But historically, that has been it. Now, the current general counsel... That's minus wages that you receive in the meantime, though, isn't it? That's correct. That is minus interim earnings. So it is not... uh, It is... I mean, people have, like you said, people have to get other jobs. So it is significantly reduced oftentimes by interim earnings. And 
sometimes people find better jobs. So they end up getting very little Mm -hmm. in uh, total back pay paid to them. Now it is public record. So I'm not sharing anything here. And of course I'm just here today on behalf of the NLRBU, but uh, the general counsel of the national labor relations board has made public an initiative to try and change the remedies for uh, violations of the act to seek what are called make whole economic remedies, meaning if people suffered consequential damages, such as falling behind on ha- on mortgage payments or went bankrupt on credit cards, those type of things caused by the unlawful layoff that they would be entitled to uh, be fully remedied for those consequential losses as well. But uh, that is still pending in court. We will see in time whether the judicial system agrees that that needs to be part of the make whole remedy calculation. Right, right. I the the general counsel has has put out a lot of a lot of initiatives that that I think would um, bring the enforcement of the NLRA closer to its original intention. How have the how have you know bargaining unit employees of NLRBU Local Ten and and other workers at the NLRB across the country? How have they reacted to to one um, the general counsel's seeming um, interest in reinvigorating the NLRB, and then two, the continued flat funding by the Biden administration last year of the NLRB. Like, these seem like two very, you know, like this is the same administration doing it, but, uh, you know, the Biden administration continued to flat fund the NLRB last year. So, um, you know, how are how are NLRB workers reacting to those two things? Well, of uh- Of course, I can only speak on behalf of NLRB bargaining unit employees in Local 10, but within Local 10, there has been a very positive reaction to the initiatives to try and get back, reverse the Peter Robb years, the Donald Trump years that really restricted our ability to advocate for employees' rights. We, We all believe in the original purpose of the act, so we are all thrilled to try and restore that and expand upon it. We know with the current makeup of district courts and the Supreme Court that even with having a favorable board, many of these issues on appeal to the circuits and to the Supreme Court could, it's going to be an uphill battle. We're going to be in this fight for the long haul. But there is a lot of optimism in expanding employees' rights within at least uh, the bargaining unit of Region 10. However, It is very depressing for the bargaining unit to see continued flat funding. Right now, the agents or the region does not have enough employees to do the work that needs to be done. They don't, they have new, we have numerous vacant positions in every office in the region. Most of our supervisors over these seven years have retired, so we don't have supervisors to assist us. We are the unit leading the unit in most cases. We are just sharing the load together. There is no supervisor, for example, in Birmingham. Most of the supervisors in the Atlanta office are gone. All but one from Winston-Salem is gone. The So it is just an 
incredibly depressing load to bear. And for as long as the funding is flat, the agency cannot afford to hire anybody to replace these people. So they can't hire new bargaining unit level jobs. They can't hire, hire or promote supervisors to fill supervisory positions. And they can't, uh, I mean, right now the agency cannot even afford travel. And just to give people an understanding of what what are the numbers that we're talking about? What's the ballpark here? The flat funding has been at uh, $274 million a year. Biden is proposing to increase it by $45 million a year. Um, and he proposed a similar increase last year that was ultimately discarded. Um, and at the same time, we're looking at year over year, I mean, every year that Biden has been in office, every year that Trump was in office, every year that Obama was in office, we're looking at defense spending increases of tens of billions of dollars. I mean, like, the amount that you need to fully staff of course you can always do more right but but the, you know right. the the amount that you that we're talking about here is minuscule when we're looking at other parts of the budget that that's right we are we are a teeny tiny agency on the budget scale small but mighty is what we call ourselves and you'll see in the big back build back better bill the funding is proposed in it that is close to what uh, many in the bargaining unit and then LRBU has advocated for, which is $350 million over the course of every five years on top of what we have now. So that would be about $75 million per year, $70 million a year, excuse me. I'm, I'm a lawyer because I'm not good at math, but uh, seven, $70 million a year uh is really that's what we need to get the full strength but even that 45 would be an infusion into both the strength and morale and the staffing of the agency that would it would feel like uh christmas come early if that 45 million increase came what do you? What is the NLRBU doing to make sure that this is a priority for the Biden administration? Well, the NLRBU, I know the national routinely meets with the uh, general counsel and her team to make sure that uh, she is advocating and communicating messages <clears throat> directly to the White House. And of course, as made clear in the Huffington Post article, she was not pleased that this funding was discarded either, and she continues to publicly state that the funding level is unacceptable and untenable for going forward. But the NLRBU has engaged in many acts to send the message to D.C., various forms of protected concerted activity, refusing to volunteer for additional projects any further refusing to volunteer to help supervisors carry the supervisory load, which has been growing as more and more supervisors retire. And unit employees had often volunteered that, hey, everybody, for example, everybody in 
local 10 has just taken turns rotating. Okay, from these dates to these dates, I'll do those duties. And one of the acts protected concerted activity after the budget failed to pass this year was that every member of local 10 emailed the, gen the general council and the deputy general council and withdrew our publicly withdrew our willingness to continue to participate in those rotating acting stints that they have to fit. They and the administration have to figure out how to cover non-unit duties that we're not going to help with it anymore. But the, the biggest thing, at least for local tens experience, the problem is not the people within the administration of the agency. It is the people beyond so the efforts to get that message to those people, whether it's contacting our congressmen, our senators, which we all do and which we all advocate for them to back our funding more. But even when we reach out, uh, as uh, Michael said, the Republicans are interested in killing this agency. So as long as you're in a state represented by Republicans, they don't care what you have to say. But the NLRBU, uh, NLRBU's experience and Barney's experience with the change in the last three administrations is the Republicans, as Michael Billick of the National Union said in the Huffington Post article, Republicans seem much more passionate about killing us than Democrats do about saving us, is how it feels within our agency. Joseph, thanks for your time. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you. All right, folks, we've been talking to Joseph Webb. He is the National Labor Relations Board Union Local 10 president. NLRBU Local 10 represents NLRB workers in Alabama, Tennessee, and some other places in the South. We appreciate his willingness to talk, uh, talk to us. We've been talking about what the NLRB does and how the funding cuts under Republicans and Democrats have harmed their ability to carry out the mission of the National Labor Relations Act. If you missed any of that conversation, then don't worry. The program is available online, on Facebook, on YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. Just search in all of those places for The Valley Labor Report, wherever you find your content online, and you can listen to any part of the show that you missed. We're going to take a quick break. On the other side, we're going to be responding to listener voicemails and playing a part of an interview with Lou Burdett. He is a candidate for governor. And uh, so, yeah, you're listening to the Valley Labor Report. Stay tuned. Attention union members, podcasters, members of membership organizations. The future is here and you need to be prepared for it by working with Unionly. With Unionly, your union or other organization can take payments on a mobile device, eliminating processing fees. Your members will thank you when they pay their dues at their convenience without waiting in line to deposit cash or check. You'll also be able to use a union-friendly organization. We use Unionly here at the Valley Labor Report, and they have been very great to us. Their fees are lower than Patreons, actually. They set up a great store. It's all extremely user-friendly, easy to use. So, folks, if this is something that your organization or you as an individual are needing, if you're needing a way 
to regularly collect dues from members or supporters of your organization. If you want to set up an online store, then you should start preparing for the future by calling today 206 595 8631. Again, that phone number is 206-595-8631 or visiting unionly.io. That website is unionly.io. Support for this program also comes from the Iron Workers, Local 477. So if you are looking for contractors with lower than average EMR and TRIR, uh, they tell me that if you need to know what those mean, then you will. Uh, or if you need to supplement a workforce at any level for any amount of time, short or long term, if you need iron workers that come trained and certified at no extra cost, or if you need workers from superintendent down to general laborer, and you're looking to start work on a project or you're unhappy with your current contractor situation, you need to call my friend Jeb Miles with the Ironworkers Local 477. They only work with the best in the business, vetted contractors, and can do all kinds of jobs from roofing to steel and bridge erection, from welding to heavy rigging, from structural repairs to machinery alignment, and much more. They supply manpower on four of the five largest projects in North Alabama, so you know they're legit. If you need good quality, safe, efficient, diligent, and knowledgeable workers on your job, then you need the Iron Workers Local 477. Call Jeb Miles at 256-383-3334 or via email at local477 at bellsouth.net and make sure you tell them that you heard about them on the Valley Labor Report. IBW558 is like a great football team. You've got to have the aptitude, skills, and knowledge to outperform the competition. If you're a non-union electrician, now is the perfect time to get off the sideline and join our team. We have the absolute best wages and benefit package in North Alabama and Southern Tennessee. It's because our team stands together, bargains together, and our families benefit from it. With immediate openings, you have the opportunity to see why the IBW is the right choice. Energy Alabama is a locally operated and membership-based nonprofit organization focused on advancing Alabama's clean energy future through education and advocacy. Many people in charge of infrastructure and building decisions simply don't know how viable clean and renewable energy is. And to that end, Energy Alabama has provided instruction to thousands of adults and tens of thousands of K-12 students across the state. And they are working hard to build careers in clean energy and help everyday Alabamians save money on their utility bills. Learn more about their work and how you can join at Energy Alabama.org. Support for the Valley Labor Report comes from the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers Union. Learn more by visiting www.ifpte.org. The attorneys of Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs are proud to represent working people in Alabama and across the Southeast. They have over 100 years of experience representing injured workers in workers' compensation, personal injury, and disability claims. Let their attorneys help you when you get injured on the job. You can find them at www.mtandj.com or 855-617-9333. 
Let Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs help you when you get injured on the job. Again, the website is www.mtandj.com or the phone number 855-617-9333. No representation is made that the quality of legal services is greater than the quality of legal services from other law firms. Support for this program comes from the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 136, out of Central Alabama. Learn more at IBEW136.org. Come on, you poor workers, good news to you, I'll tell how the good old union has come in here to dwell. Labor! Creates all wealth. All wealth should go to labor. You are listening to the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison. My co-host is Adam Keller. If you've got anything to add, give us a call. The phone number is 844-899-TVLR. 844-899-TVLR is the phone number. You can leave us a voicemail anytime. You can't call in live right now because this is a pre-taped episode. This is a pre-tape. We are recording this on Wednesday. So apologies for so many pre-tapes lately, but we're busy people. We're busy people, okay? So um, I appreciate your patience, though. Um, But like I said, we do have a voicemail number, and that number is, one more time, 844-899-8857. And we got a couple last week. So, Adam, let's go ahead and play the one that I've got queued up for us. There are no such things as birthing persons. You're either a woman or a man. Only women have babies. And you said it best on your show. You may be crazy, but blah, blah, blah. Yes, you are crazy. Uh, so, yeah. That... <laughs> uh, so, man, like, you can just, you can tell in his voice and, like, how long it took for him to actually kind of mentally prepare that this dude is seething, right? He is seething mad because somebody had the audacity not to even necessarily, like we spent very little time actually questioning the substance of what was happening as far as the, the, the conversation about birthing people, but just the, the audacity of somebody to, suggest that it's more important to women and to others that they not die because they don't have health care like can you like so, i mean j- just to recap or like because ev- not everybody listens to every single show although you should but just uh just so that you've got a good idea of the backstory here he called in crying about us taking issue with the fact that a couple of weeks ago, conservative propaganda losers spent hours, I'm talking literal hours, on the radio crying about the words that somebody used to describe folks who give birth in Alabama. Columns were written about it, hours spent on the radio and we said our position was that this is distracting from first of all like who cares 
First of all, who cares is is the big is the who cares that somebody is using language that they feel will make people feel more comfortable. Like who like it doesn't hurt you at all. You tiny tiny little baby. You tiny tiny little baby. This furor and people like this caller getting whipped into a rage when the original conversation the person who used the offending phrase birthing person birthing alabamian she was reporting on and doing a good job because we don't hear any of this context on conservative talk radio or in conservative media columns reporting on the fact that postpartum Medicaid coverage will potentially be expanded at Alab- expanded in the state of Alabama, and she reported on some good facts, some inter- some 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 facts about how people give birth in Alabama. One in every two births in the state is covered by Medicaid. That is how poor our people are. Is that one in every two births? are covered by Medicaid instead of private health insurance. Not to mention the teenage pregnancy rates we right. have in this state, because that constitutes a significant number of those Medicaid births as well. One in every two births is covered by Medicaid. Uh, the majority of postpartum deaths of, of people, of folks who give birth that die after they give birth, from childbirth, the majority of those deaths take place after like three or four weeks or something. So this is this is something that people need to be covered for a while to be out of the woods about, right? This is and and so previously, Medicaid in Alabama only gave postpartum coverage after birth coverage for like a month or two. And now we are looking at, in the state of Alabama, getting on par with the rest of the country and extending postpartum Medicaid coverage for one year to, to, to create it, to, to make it so that it is a year. Call me like, I mean, I said this last week, call me crazy, but I think even if I was a person who did not believe that like trans people should be respected which i am (laughs) i'm a person i'm a person that believe trans people should be respected but let's even say that that's like that i'm just this reactionary person and i have weird i have weird feelings about trans people like even if that's me it would seem to me that women dying because this affects largely women that women dying in the state of Alabama or getting substandard care in the state of Alabama is more important than the fact that the reporter who is reporting on this issue is trying to make trans people feel comfortable and included. It would... I I mean, right? You would think. You would think. This guy, I would be willing to bet... A significant amount of money, I'd be willing to bet a significant amount of money that 
this guy who called into our show and left us a voicemail, just seething mad, just absolutely like he probably had to wipe tears from his eyes because he was so angry. I would be willing to bet a significant amount of money that he did not call his state representative or his state senator to express his support for expanding, for extending postpartum Medicaid coverage to ensure that, again, largely women, the majority of the people that this is going to affect is going to be women, right, to make sure that those folks are adequately taken care of. I would be willing to bet he did not call his state representative or his state senator or the governor's office to make sure that his support for this important uh, policy is heard. And that's like, that's really, really sad. That's really sad that he, that, that the people that he listens to on a regular basis, the people that he like gets his opinions from, have so rotted his brain that making that that like that using certain that using gendered words is more important to him than saving uh Alabamians lives. I mean that's just like that's really sad. That makes me like hurt for this guy. It makes me hurt for this guy, um, and it makes me angry at the people who made him this way. And, you know, I mean, look, like like I said, I mean, trans folks are real. You know, whether you agree with it or you appreciate that or not, like, trans people are real. They're real people. Trans rights are workers' rights are humans' rights, and trying to make them feel comfortable and welcome and using gender neutral language that's like not a bad thing sometimes i do that and sometimes i don't uh you know <clears throat> just whatever makes the most sense in a given situation uh you know and even if that language sounds awkward to you i mean like we said last week like birthing person like sounds like it just hits my ears wrong right it hits my ears wrong it sounds weird and so like i don't know it's not really a phrase that i'm probably not going to use that i might i might say like folks who give birth if i want to use it in a gender neutral way or uh you know but like look there i mean there are trans men female to male who are going to have some female like needs right and so like but most of these people they're not going to care about that you use a gender neutral phrase every single time, right? This is not this is not the thing that's at the top of their priority list, okay? Uh but on the other hand, like juxtaposing the fact that for trans people making sure that every single person uses a gender neutral phrase every single time, like that's not, you know, not top of the list, okay? Not top of the list. Um on the other hand, this guy, <laughs> this guy, and people, and, and the people that he listens to, that is on the top of their list. Making sure that this language is not used, making sure that people feel bad for using it, uh, that is at the top of his list. That is at the top of his list. This guy has allowed himself to be pulled around because one reporter said birthing people. And he is not upset 
that women and potentially other folks are dying or are getting substandard care because of a lack of postpartum medical coverage. Yeah, it's it is sad and I think it's always difficult when we talk about these issues because you know, I think it's important we point out the ways in which media and the culture in general wants us to be upset about things, wants us to be divided over things, and typically the lower the stakes, the higher the outrage, and right. vice versa. <laughs> right. Um, and so, you know, if it's conservative media, or even in some cases more mainstream corporate media, there's going to be more coverage given to language and gender-neutral terms and, and the pushback on that and the pushback on the pushback than there will be on homelessness mm -hmm. plaguing the trans community. Are the amount of suicides plaguing the trans community? Because, in part, of the stigma attached uh, and the ways in which these folks are demonized by media and others and politicians. So I, I want you know I want to be careful in saying that we're not trying to be dismissive of gender neutral language. We both agree with that. I think one thing we can say is that. Language evolves. Mm -hmm. It always has. It always will. There are things that we won't say today that 20, 30, 40 years ago would have been commonplace. Right. And I think it's a process of learning. I'm not trans myself. I have friends who are. I've had students who are. And I am trying to learn. It's a, it's a process. And I think... Those of us who are engaged in good faith can recognize that, that not everyone's always going to like what we say or how we say it, but it's about what's in your heart. And are you coming from a good place, a place where all human beings deserve to be treated with dignity and respect? Yeah. And that's how we feel about it. And it is sad that there are folks who are so riled up about these things you know, and, and like you said, what what is it to him? What's right. it matter to him? What phrases are used? Yeah, it's it's really quite minor because it doesn't affect him whatsoever. Now it does affect trans folks, and and the language that's used can affect them in the ways in which they can be demonized or made to feel less than human. The ways in which they can be made to feel inclusive. Mm-hmm. So all those things are important to that community, and therefore we have some obligation to do our best to learn to to act in good faith. But where it doesn't matter is to these folks on right wing media and the and the kind of folks who listen to it who are upset about these things. It, it really affects their life, not at all. Yeah, I mean, I, I just I do like I really. I mean, I really want you to think like this is I mean, this is is part of the reason why we wanted to be on a, a on one of the stations that we're on. We're on a few different stations, but one of the stations that we're on is a conservative talk radio station. Like if you're listening to me and you're a conservative, like I really I mean, I really want you to take a step back because like I've been I mean, you know, I, I I've been a little bit inflammatory and I do that because I think it's funny. 
but I really do want you to take a step back and think, like, is it more important that a reporter, like, doesn't use this phrase that hurts my feelings, or is it more important that uh, folks in Alabama have postpartum Medicaid coverage? Like, that, that people, that after they give birth, they have adequate care for themselves and then by proxy, you know, so that they're healthy and they're able to care, care for their children. Like, I want you to think about that. I want you to think about that. And I want you to think about what's more important. And I want you to think about, does your media reflect that? Does Do the people that you listen to on a day-to-day basis, do they reflect those priorities that you have? Because I would hazard a guess that most people, even if they are conservative, do not they see the basically objectively correct priority which is that people dying is more important than addressing the fact that folks are dying because they don't have care after they give birth um addressing that fact is more important than uh whether or not a reporter said birthing alabamians i i believe most people agree with that and um and so I just want you to think about what the people that you listen to are trying to get you upset about. Yeah, um, absolutely. So, and, and, and uh, that's the last thing that. Oh, uh, well. Uh, yeah, and the last thing I'll say is uh, keep the feedback coming, the positive and the negative. Uh, yeah. Hey, if you want to leave us a voicemail and you're pissed off about something, go for it. If you want to send us a message and push back on some things we said, go for it. Yeah. Uh, we, we love. We love the feedback. Yeah. I, I mean, it's how we learn, or in some cases, uh, you know, I can't say I learned an awful lot from this caller. <laughs> but, but we had fun. We it, had fun. It, was, it was fun, and it was a good example, though, of how this kind of stuff works on the average person who's following that kind of media. So keep it coming. Uh, good, bad, and ugly. We'll take it all. Yep. Uh, Last Week in Southern Labor is a segment that we do every week where we talk about what happened last week in Southern Labor. We take it from the newsletter, Who Gets the Bird? You can read it, whogetsthebird.substack.com, written by Jonah Furman, where he compiles everything that happened in the labor movement in the United States of America. We pull the things that happened from the South because that is the most important. And we all know that, folks. We all know that. Uh, So let's go ahead and get right into it. In new organizing, 346 more Starbucks workers at 13 more stores, including in Austin, Texas, Oviedo, and Estero, Florida, and Anderson, South Carolina, are joining Workers United uh, in the wave that just won't quit, which brings us to a total of over 3,300 workers who filed for elections, not counting those who've announced their intention to do so but haven't yet put in the paperwork. 40% of that just in the last four weeks. Really amazing stuff. Uh, 90 workers at Diversified Gas and Oil in Buchanan, West Virginia, are unionizing with the steel workers, and 10 freight drivers and warehouse workers for Point Dedicated Services in Laredo, Texas, are joining Teamsters Local 650. 
57. In election wins, we had 20 rail workers for Bombardier in Sanford, Florida, voting 13 to 4 to join the Brotherhood of Railroad Signalmen. And Starbucks workers in Knoxville, Tennessee, become the first Starbucks location in the South to win an election. How about that? Yes, how about that? You can watch our interview with a barista from that location on our YouTube channel. We talked to Maggie Carter. She is a barista at the Knoxville Starbucks location about uh, about herself and about her uh, about the union campaign at her location. So if you want to learn more about what's going on in Knoxville, we talked to them when they were still the only Starbucks location in the South to have filed. So um, get get an idea for what's going on there. In strikes and bargaining, the CWA call centers for Maximus, which handles federal hotlines for Medicare and ACA inquiries, struck last week in Hattiesburg, Mississippi and Bogalusa, Louisiana, on the 12th anniversary of the passage of Obamacare. This is a big one. Uh, there's, again... Y'all should really listen to America's Workforce. It's a great podcast. Uh, They're on the radio just like we are, except in Ohio. And they have had a couple of interviews with Maximus workers. um, And they make actually less money than the people who qualify for the ACA that they're helping. So they're they're helping people figure out how to navigate the ACA who make more money than they do, right? And so this is uh, this is uh, bonkers, and they should get more. And I'm glad you plugged that again, the America's Workforce Radio. That's a reminder for me to listen to that uh, because Hattiesburg holds a special place in my heart, being the home of the University of Southern Mississippi, where many of my family members attended and where I still root for the football team and have many fond memories uh, going to Hattiesburg, so it's always nice to see our brothers and sisters from the region, from our area, represent. So all of, all of my love and solidarity out there to the Maximus workers, wishing them much success in this campaign. Awesome, awesome. Uh, cops in Birmingham, Alabama, organized a blue flu with a sick out over low pay. Uh, curious, are, is there a lot of outrage in right-wing media about this? Because <laughs> as far as I know, they don't like workers when doing sick strike. outs. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's funny. I actually, I actually, speaking of things that literal hours were spent on on the radio, um literal hours were spent on a sick out by teachers in Birmingham um, talking about how they don't care about their kids or, or they're just stuck up or, or whatever and and they're hurting the community um, but but yeah that is funny I hadn't even thought about that Adam how I have not heard anything about this. Uh, about how these cops are endangering their communities right. or how they don't care about the people that they are supposed to protect and serve. Yeah, I haven't heard any of that outrage. Interesting. That's weird. That is interesting. Hmm. Uh, anyway, 
employees at Disney in Florida have been staging intermittent walkouts to protest the company's initial silence on the anti-LGBTQ bill going through the state house that would prohibit teaching about sexual orientation, also known as the Don't Say Gay bill. This one is notable for being an explicitly political walkout, though it looks like at least Unite Here Local 362, one of the unions that represents Disney workers, along with several Teamsters locals and some others, they are telling their members not to participate, um, though it does seem to be due to potential discipline rather than political allegiance. And finally, in political fights, Dave Jameson reported on the long-term systemic underfunding of the NLRB and what it means for any current or future surge in new union organizing, not to mention investigating employer abuses. I would highly recommend reading that article. Uh, Joseph Webb, the president of the NLRB U Local 10, uh, mentioned that a couple of times. It was an article in the Huffington Post. Uh, y'all should check that out. It's a really good article about the funding cuts and what it what it's going to mean for working people as uh, as we organize into the future. So definitely check that out, folks. <clears throat> so uh, so yeah, if you want to see what happened in the rest of U.S. labor, you should read Jonah Furman's newsletter. Who gets the bird? All right, uh, so so yeah, we have been answering your voicemails going over last week in Southern Labor. If you missed any part of the program, you can find us online. We're on YouTube, we're on Facebook, wherever you get your podcasts, you can listen to the full show, or you can cl- catch clips that interest you on our YouTube channel. Just search for The Valley Labor Report. We are going to a break really quick, and when we come back, we're going to be talking about some more stuff, so stay tuned. You're listening to The Valley Labor Report. Report. Energy Alabama supports consumers and is a leader in advocating for them. They have been able to successfully fight off utility rate increases in the state, reduce fees for electric vehicles, increase electric vehicle infrastructure spending, and they secured a $100 million refund by Alabama Power after the utility overcharged customers for fuel. To learn more about their work advocating for customers and to join the fight, go to energyalabama.org. There's a lot of talk about a shortage of workers, but that's not the case with IBW558. We have provided our customers over 3,000 workers and performed over 3 million man hours in a pandemic year. With 8,000 OJT hours, 900 classroom hours, OSHA 30, and a state license, our members receive the equivalent of a master's degree. That's what makes IBW558 the right choice for your electrical needs. Look us up at Facebook or at IBW558.org. The attorneys of Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs are proud to represent working people in Alabama and across the Southeast. They have over 100 years of experience representing injured workers in workers' compensation, personal injury, and disability claims. Let their attorneys help you when you get injured on the job. You can find them at www.mtandj.com or 855-617-9333. Let Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs help you when you get injured on the job. Again, the website is www.mtandj.com or the phone number 
855-617-9333. No representation is made that the quality of legal services is greater than the quality of legal services from other law firms. North Alabama DSA is looking for folks to work for a better North Alabama. They prioritize mutual aid, municipal activism, and union solidarity. Contact them on social media or dsanorthalabama at gmail for more information. Support for this program is provided by the International Association for Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local Lodge 44 in Decatur, Alabama. Learn more at iamaw44.org. Hometown Action is a proud sponsor of the Valley Labor Report, and we're here to help keep you in the loop on the assault on your right to protest, picket, and peaceably assemble in Alabama. The anti-protest bill is back this year, and it's as bad as ever. There is huge interest in building worker power and increasing unionization in Alabama that has corporations scared. Don't let their influence on our state legislators become another tool to arrest striking workers and union supporters. This racist bill is especially problematic for black organizers and unnecessarily gives law enforcement broad discretion to define even small peaceful gatherings as a riot. Tell your Alabama legislators to say no to House Bill 2. We've set up an easy way for you to do that. You can go to hmtn.link slash hb2 where you'll find more information and an email template you can use right from your smartphone. That link is hmtn.link slash hb2. You'll also find more info on social media at Hometown Action. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AFGE.com. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. Support for this program also comes from the Mid-South Council of Retail, Wholesale, and Department Store Union. Learn more at rwdsu.info. Alabama's only union talk radio show. That's right. This is the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison and my co-host is Adam Keller. If you've got anything to add, give us a call. Our voicemail line is open. Not our live line because... This is a pre-taped show. Apologies, but you can always leave us a voicemail at 844-899-TVLR. That is 844-899-8857. And that works whether you're a radio listener, whether you listen to us on YouTube, or as a podcast. So, uh, so... Any uh, wherever you listen to us, you can you can always leave us a voicemail. Um, So. The first thing, what we're going to do here is we've got, we did a long interview with Lou Burdett. He is a candidate for governor. We talked to him for about, I would say, 45 minutes. I think it was about 45 minutes. We're going to play about 15 minutes of that for you because, look, we've only got, 
We've only got like an hour and a half on the radio with you, an hour if you're listening to us in, uh, in, in Muscle Shoals. We don't want to spend 45 minutes again talking to a politician. But, you know, look, uh, I think it's educational. I think it's worth knowing where people stand when they're running, especially for governor and especially if they have, like, I mean, Luberdet has like a, a not unreason, you know, Probably he won't win, but maybe he will. Um, so, so look, we, we did that interview, and we talked mostly about education. That is what we talked most about. So, And that uh, was not my fault. <laughs> that was not your fault. Normally, I, I do tend to steer him in that direction, but... But he is a he's a big uh, that's he says that's his first priority. So we're going to play some of that interview for you, and you'll be able to hear the full interview if you uh, if you find us online. You can listen to the full thing there. Um, so yeah, well let's go ahead and play that interview. Lou Burdett, he is running for governor of the great state of Alabama. Lou, thanks for taking the time to join us. I appreciate it. Jacob, thank you so much for having me, and I couldn't agree more. It wasn't politicians was not supposed to be a lifetime job, was it? And um, you know that's why I'm running. Is we haven't had any change in my entire lifetime. I'm 63 years old. People ask me all the time, "Why are you running for governor?" Because I so dearly love this state, and we've been at the bottom my entire lifetime. And we have great people. We have a great state. We do not have to be at the bottom, but that's where lifetime politicians keep us in this state is at the bottom. Yep, a- absolutely. Uh, I mean, I-, I think that's just that that's just a statement of fact, basically from uh, uh, from the record. <laughs> so, uh, but Lou, the first thing that I wanted to get into is the first thing on your website. Like, if somebody goes to your website, which is in 22com that's that's a pretty uh, pretty easy thing to say. in 22com uh, The first thing that you see about you is that uh, you are a proven public company executive. Um, and, and so, you know, this is something that you're proud of, right, that you, that, that you believe is something that, that makes you more qualified maybe than not to be governor of Alabama. And this, I mean, it's, you know, it's so common you almost get sick of it, right? I'm a businessman. We need a businessman in office, blah, blah, blah. And, and like, for me... I have a difficult time understanding like why I as a working person would vote for a boss as an elected leader. You know, uh, we asked folks uh, to tell us their first sure. thought when they hear the word business leader. And uh, these are the responses that we got. We got grifter, someone who doesn't work, nothing good, thief, plutocrat, tyrant. Right. Um, and I think that that tracks <laughs> with a lot of people's lives with going to work day in and day out they're doing the work the boss tells them that they aren't doing it good enough while they sit in their office and take all the credit while making more money than the rest of us so tell me like why should i vote for a businessman as a working person because that hasn't been my track record. My track record is growing up as in the uh, family-owned grocery business. My dad owned a small-town grocery store. I learned a strong work ethic, sacking groceries in my uh, dad's store from really about the earliest age I can remember. I was so little that I could uh, take the the groceries off the counter, put them in the sacks, and the big boys would have to take them out. And I saw my dad run a small business and. Uh, work 14 hours a day, six days a week, his entire life. Um, 
And so that's the environment that I grew up in. I'm an everyday working guy. And I say, I am so glad that I have spent my entire career with a real job in the real world. And no, nobody uh, gave me my position when I worked at Books of Me. And I worked there for 13 years. And I started out at the bottom and I worked my way up to be chief operating officer and grew. Uh, a, a chain of stores from from 30 stores to over 175 when I left, uh, from 26 million dollars in volume and to, to 250 million in volume across 16 states, and and uh, a little over 200 employees to over 3,000 employees, and that kind of business experience, common sense business experience is important to running this state to know how to manage people, to know how to manage a multi-million dollar budget. So n nobody gave me anything. I worked hard, uh, sometimes 100 hours a week uh, when we were taking our company public uh, back in that day. But then the last 19 years is running a, 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 a nonprofit in Birmingham called King's Home, helping abused youth and moms and kids uh, start over in li life, have hope and opportunity in life. And, and so running a nonprofit uh, is important to have business common sense. And I think that's what we need is, is, is a change in Montgomery uh, away from lifetime politicians that have kept us in the bottom to have a common sense business leader that will flip it upside down that doesn't owe any favors nobody's got influence over me and i can't wait to work for that kind of change in montgomery let's talk about education you mentioned that's one of your um one of your top priorities what would be the uh lou n22 education agenda take out common core common core's got to go um you know, we can't be 52nd in math. We're 52nd in math. That would be my first priority. Then we got a budget right. 93% earmarking in, in Alabama, the highest earmarked state uh, in America. The next closest is Michigan at a little over 60. That's got to change. We can't budget right. We can't budget right educationally. You know, right now, big debate is on school choice. And I'm, I'm generally for school choice. But what I'm really for, um, because... Uh, I, we, we have about 80 kids in, in our program uh, throughout central Alabama at any given time. These are teenagers that come from horribly abusive situations. Um, you know, in a, in a child's zip code should not determine their educational future. And I see a lot of our kids that come into King's Home where they have been in areas where school choice would have benefited them. But where I grew up in rural Alabama, school choice isn't a big deal because parents can't afford to drive their kids over to the next county. Uh, for them to have an opportunity to go to a different school. But what I'm really for is a child's educational savings account that goes directly to the child. Um, funds are allocated so that parents don't have access to that money, but it's used specifically and strictly for education so that parents can make the choice for their particular area where that, their child would get the best education. Obviously, for, for education and, and, and for any issue, you're going to be talking to experts once you get in. You're, you're not going to be able to have every single thing laid out. And I'm interested right. in who you're going to be going to, to 
uh, for some of these things because in my mind it would seem like okay the fir- the people that we talk to are the people that do the work and obviously you know I mean I'm you know I I am happy to say I'm happy to admit my bias that I you know I'm a working person I'm a union person uh, but just generally speaking for any job it it seems like the people that you that that know how best to do the work and know what needs to be done to do the work better are the people that do the work and so i'm a bit concerned Mm -hmm. about your position or or your stance towards uh organizations like the aea because um you know they're they're the teachers right aea is is the organization of teachers and in other podcasts you've said we've got to have somebody who's going to stand up and and fight the aea and and take away teacher tenure and and you know so these are things that coming in right off the bat saying like my position towards teachers is that i'm going to be oppositional to them seems worrying to me um, I, I want to work with AEA. You, everywhere I go, I talk about bringing unity to Alabama, not division. I think there are uh, elements of tenure that that when uh, uh, that, that that I I feel like that there should be ways to to clean up um, uh, teachers that that aren't uh, achieving high results in their classrooms, and there is a way. Um, for to have improvement in those kinds of classrooms uh, because those do hold kids back. The last thing that I wanted to talk to uh, talk about, and I wanted to make sure that we got to it, is, is the mine workers uh, down in Brookwood. About a thousand of them have been on strike for a year with not a word from the current governor. That they've been restricted by county judges this whole time. On the picket line, they've they've been limited the number of people that that, that can be on a picket line at once. Uh, seems to me to be a legitimate freedom of speech issue, which we hear about that all the time. And it's never about the government; it's about this or that private company. Um, but here we've actually got the government telling Alabama coal miners when and where and how they can speak. So, if you were elected governor, what would you do for these Alabama coal miners? God forbid they're still on strike. Well, surely, um, you know, after what, coming up on 11, 12 months, right? April 1st will be um, a year. That, right. And, and so it, it is so important that um, all workers have are protected in, in their First Amendment rights. You know, are you, are you for First Amendment and are you for the Second Amendment? So, of course I am. You know, I'm for all 25 amendments because it just so frustrates me, you know, that we have weak spineless politicians, Republicans included. I call them out, you know, that don't stand up for our Constitution, don't stand up for our First Amendment rights and how important um, that is. And just for the, you know, hey, I'm an everyday working guy. That's been my whole history. Um, And, you know, and certainly support, um, you know, all of our workers in Alabama and how important uh, that is. And so, you know, I always want management, if you want to call it that, and, and, um, uh, and, and labor to be able to work out solutions. And it seems like to me from what I read that labor has been willing to make concessions. So I, I, I don't understand why management isn't willing to make concessions also. Do you think that, you know, we've seen uh, over the course of, of the history of this country, we've seen 
uh, where strikes are long and drawn out. Um, you know, secretaries of labor, actually, the U.S. Secretary of Labor, um, Marty Walsh, uh, he brokered a deal between Kellogg's and the BCTGM union to end that strike. We've seen governors come to help mediate strikes in the past. Do you think that that's something that you, that you would be willing to use the office of, of, the, of the governor to do to call out what Warrior Met has been doing, um, you know, to, uh, to come out uh, firmly on the side of the workers and to try to help mediate uh, a good solution for the people of Alabama? Absolutely. You just finished listening to a part of an interview that we did with candidate for governor Lou Burdett. You can find the full conversation online. You can find that full conversation online um, and uh, and hear what else he had to say uh, about the things that you didn't get to hear him talk about. The last thing that we wanted to talk about today is that Amazon, the uh, is Amazon in Bessemer. The election concluded last week, March the twenty fifth, was the final day to have your ballot in, and um, we will be expecting results sometime next week. I believe in early April is is when it's looking like we're going to be able to get the final results. Um, and uh, on the day that ballots were due, I mean, it's just amazing. Like you would think that they would wait a little bit uh, before <laughs> before they before they did stuff like this, but they didn't. The day that the ballots were due. Workers were made to work in unsafe working conditions in Bessemer. In an article by Tandra Smith in AL.com, she reports on the press release uh, that RWDSU sent out. And uh, she says that workers at an Alabama Amazon facility were allegedly told to keep working as potentially vaporized oil spread throughout a series of floors. It spread throughout a series of floors so thick that, like, it was, I mean, it was, like, visible. The group in its statement said that around uh, 1.30, workers on the third floor of the warehouse were told to clock out, evacuate, and go on unpaid voluntary time off, which is... Again, and so there was there was a certain part of workers. There was one section that was told, "Oh, hey, it's too dangerous for you here. You need to go." And they didn't give them paid time off. They didn't give them paid time off for an issue that was not their fault. They had to go on vo- on voluntary time off, on unpaid time off. And according to the group, workers on other floors were not told to stop working and evacuate or notified of the substance that was spreading through the air vents. Eventually, first floor workers went to see what was going on, and uh, then they began to, workers began to leave the facility via word of mouth. Some fire and police service vehicles were on the scene. Um, I mean, this is just... It's really, really 
really crazy stuff. Isaiah Thomas said in the statement, everyone was very confused and the lack of information made us feel very unsafe. We didn't know what was happening and many of us sought safety in our cars and tried to get as far away from the building as possible. I mean, like imagine, you know, you're seeing this fog, uh, you know, go all the way visibly in th- throughout the facility. You don't know what kind of fog it is. You don't know if it's flammable. I mean, you're working with all sorts of... There's got to be sparks like all over the place, or at least every now and then there's got to be a spark. You don't know if the place is going to blow up or if it's like poisonous. I mean, this is this is crazy. Thomas added that he was shocked that workers were asked to keep working throughout the incident and that no notification or alarm went out to workers. He doesn't know what he was breathing in. Neither does anybody else. I mean, this is just, it's unconscionable, as Stuart Applebaum says, president of the Retail Wholesale and Department Store Union. Um, It really is, uh, it it, it really is just terrible, terrible stuff that they're having to go through. And, um, you know, elected politicians in this state ostensibly are supposed to be fighting for working people, right? They're supposed to be fighting for the people uh, that they represent in their state, in their district. You would think that this is the people that, that, that our politicians would have allegiance to, but that would not accurately describe U.S. Senator from Alabama Tommy Tupperville. Tommy Tupperville, after this safety incident, he did not say, uh, he did not come out in support of the workers as they, uh, as they try to institute safer working conditions or anything like that. He did not condemn Amazon for forcing some workers to continue working in unsafe conditions and, um, and forcing others to go on unpaid time off. He didn't do any of that. He released another press release about how he's concerned that Amazon workers are getting a second chance after Amazon broke the law and illegally interfered with their right to vote. So that is the priority of the Alabama senator. If anybody is... You know, I mean, here again, like I want folks to I want folks to listen to me. Right. I want folks to. To just think about this, think about this. This is a U.S. senator from Alabama, ostensibly from Alabama, who spends his time fighting on behalf of of New York and D.C. and Australia oligarchs against Alabama coal miners. And now he is weighing in on behalf of California liberal elite Jeff Bezos against Alabama workers, against the Alabama workers who are trying to form a union and against the many more Alabama workers who want to work in safe conditions, who believe that they ought to have a right to come home at the end of their shift. That's who he's fighting against. That's who he's fighting for, and that's who he's fighting against. So 
I mean, look, you know, consider that. Consider priorities. Uh, it's 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 a reflection of that man's priorities, and he is a complete joke. Not at all a representative of the average Alabamian. I uh, yeah, I would not say so. I will not say so. So uh, as we're wrapping up here on the radio, uh, let's do a few plugs. Again, you can leave us a voicemail. The phone number is 844-899-TVLR. That is 844-899-8857. We've got a new hat. We placed our order a couple weeks ago, but we ordered some extra so you can still get yours. You can do that, and you can donate to support the show on our website, tvlr.fm tvlr.fm you get it stands for the valley labor report .fm as in the radio that's how we did that adam you also had a couple plugs yeah there's a couple events coming up that i wanted to make sure folks knew about uh the first one i'm going to mention is from our friends at hometown action uh, many of you who listen to this show, you're probably familiar with Hometown Action. They do multiracial working class organizing here in the state. And they have an event coming up Saturday, April 9th at 2 p.m. Hometown Routes, where we've been and where we're going. So recommend you check that out. Join Hometown Action and the Hometown Organizing Project members and supporters for this virtual statewide gathering virtual so that means it doesn't matter where you're at you can still attend uh you can check it out online i know there's a facebook event set up as well but you can go to hometown actions website and i definitely recommend you check that out if you're curious about what they've been working on and what's been happening in the state really appreciate all the work they do as advocates and organizers and appreciate their support of this program and i also wanted to plug Music for Mechanics, which is coming up Sunday, April 24th, 1 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. That's here in Huntsville at Stove House. So recommend you check that out. Join Spice Radio, Blues to Bluegrass, and the North Alabama School for Organizers as they raise money for the free automotive clinic up here. It's going to be great free music all afternoon, a raffle drawing, and, of course, all the great food and beer you can get at Stove House. Live streaming will be done by Spice Radio Huntsville. And uh, really, just I, I love that Spice Radio is involved in this. And, and this is, of course, not the first time, but Spice Radio, where we broadcast, does outstanding community work this is a good example of that and i appreciate our friends and brothers and sisters with north alabama school for organizers for putting this on should be a great time check out some music donate some money to a good cause uh grab some food bring your friends that's what it's all about feel a little bit of community so those are a couple things i wanted to make sure we mentioned and of course i wanted to Shout out the Minneapolis educators who had a very successful end to their strike, including some major pay raises for the educational support professional support staff there in Minneapolis public schools. And, of course, wishing the same for Sacramento educators who are still on strike. Folks, that is it for our time on the radio today. Make sure that you're subscribed and supporting the show. We appreciate your time and we will see you next week.
You'll find overtime in your podcast feed on Thursday.